everybody. Welcome. Welcome uh, back. I'm William. I'm Corey. We're recording this in the morning, so if we're a little bit like, you know, I'm I'm not a morning person. I gotta be honest. But I, uh, Corey, are you a morning person? Not really, but I can get up and start going. There you go. Pretty pretty easily. Cool. Well, we're here and we're recording in the morning, yeah, and good it's morning. a special episode. Not for like any reason. We just. Special movie, special talk on yep, the way. So yep. chose a good one that we're both excited about and really enjoy. Yeah, Corey, do you want to do the drum roll as to sure. what you chose? Stanley Kubrick's final film, AI, <laughs> artificial intelligence. <laughs> this is like when people are like Steven Spielberg directed poltergeist. <laughs> Even though it says Toby Hooper everywhere at the beginning of the film, at the end of the film. Um, uh, yeah. 2001's Steven Spielberg's <laughs> AI, artificial intelligence. That's what we watched. That's what we're going to talk about. Hell yeah. Uh, Corey, I guess, you know, I'll give my thoughts on it eventually, but I'm yeah. curious as to the thought process as to why you chose this one, like why this Spielberg film, why this movie in general, all yeah. those things. Yeah. So I was um, browsing the internet mm-hmm. a couple like last week or something, and um, I saw an article about Spielberg doing the Napoleon, Kubrick's Napoleon, mm-hmm. um, and that that made me go oh shit <laughs> and then i was like Fuck you yeah. know what ai that happened too <laughs> and that's also a movie <laughs> that, that is a, also that a, a movie that occurred yeah <laughs> um with like the duo or you know the the duo the passing of the material batman and robin the dynamic that's duo. right yeah mm. kubrick spielberg <laughs> um and uh, and also, you know, it's prescient mm-hmm. with the times. A lot of artificial intelligence stuff going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that is more of a secondary reason. You sure. know, that was kind of just like, oh yeah, kind of good timing. But also, literally, I only saw this movie once in like 2002 or something. Mm-hmm. After it came out, um, but I definitely watched it at home. So it was like a home video viewing um, Mm -hmm. literally 20 years ago. Damn. 21 years ago, maybe. So that's kind of insane to feel like. I was a mere child. I've waited (laughs) so long to see this movie (laughs) a second time. Mm -hmm. But that's the other thing I'm loving about the prompt of another look is I'm finding a lot of movies like from my past that I really enjoyed. I liked have like stuck with me and that then I've only seen once or twice. So Mm -hmm. it's like, damn, I want to see that again. Right. Um, And you know, there's a lot of Spielberg stuff lately. I mean, every he's an absolute legend Mm -hmm. in like the world, Mm -hmm. the history of the world. Mm -hmm. So like, Revisiting any of his movies is worth it for sure. Um, but then I'm a huge Kubrick fanboy. Um, probably my favorite director. You're rocking the 2001 shirt. I got the shirt. 2001 shirt on. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's enough of a reason, a multitude of reasons. Yeah, to... yeah it's all, it all comes together 
Mm-hmm. And then I go like, yep, this is it. This is the one. This is the one to do. Mm-hmm. He- heck yeah. Well, uh, I'm really excited to talk about, I guess, your initial impressions. So watching two, or look, look at me yeah. saying watching 2001, yeah. watching AI directed yeah. by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, what? 21 years. Oh my God. What, what is, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings after like, this is really another look for you. Oh, totally. No, for real. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to hear some initial impressions and then like on my first viewing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Way back. Um, I definitely watched it alone, uh, at home living, you know, with my parents. Um, and remember being sad. Mm hmm overall mm-hmm. and near uh you know definitely like crying probably definitely some like <laughs> you know um I definitely feel a lot more comfortable like allowing emotions out like when i'm alone especially crying mm-hmm. you know like rare cases um being able to like just let it all out in front of somebody or with somebody with the you know Mm-hmm. knowing like okay i'm going to be comforted so like right it's all good mm-hmm. um but yeah i remember it being like i think i was getting into kubrick a little bit more back then as well because i think i watched 2001 around a similar time maybe mm-hmm. like a little bit before mm-hmm. um but uh yeah pretty cool um i think I wanted it to be a little more like soul crushing. Sure. Um, at the time thinking what I was learning about Kubrick and like the indifference mm-hmm. to, you know, reality and existence and that stuff that it would be a little more like heartbreaking or something, or I don't know. Right. But but also, I don't think I really had the grasp on Spielberg either. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen, I had seen a bunch of his movies at that by that point, you mm-hmm. know. But not really taking into account the, the way that they come together mm-hmm. um, and how they, like, balance each other. So, like, this second viewing that we just did mm-hmm. felt a lot different, Um I think I was putting on that more analytical hat instead of the like emotional hat. Sure. Um, kind of like with the Phantom when we watched that, I was a little more like, is this good? Instead of just like, have fun, you know? Right. Um, I actually feel like I had more fun with AI this time. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was kind of flip flopped. Like I didn't feel sad, really. Mm-hmm. It felt, it felt a lot more uplifting. Um, which is kind of interesting because, you know, I, I have a different comparison to make that is kind of out of left field, but maybe we should save it to, or just talk a little bit about the movie. Yeah, for sure. To, to just a quick overview. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like all those thoughts. I, I think to me, this is like one of my favorite Spielbergs it's ever since I first mm-hmm. watched it, which is probably. Yeah. When did you see it? Yeah, probably like 2015, 2016, um, mm-hmm. when I was like starting to fill in the gaps of Spielberg's filmography for me. I might have even seen it earlier. Um, my dad wasn't really a big fan of it. So that kind of like 
he showed me a lot of the Spielbergs that he loved. And then I was yeah. like, oh, have you seen this one? He was like, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like wasn't enthusiastic about it. But I feel like this one has gained a steady like a, appraisal over the years or a reappraisal. Mm-hmm. Um, people's coming back to it and really understanding what it's about and yeah. why it works really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, ever since I first saw it, like forever top five stamped in there mm-hmm. Spielberg, which is tough because for me, he has one of the most not only pro, you know prolific filmographies yeah. ever, but also just pure quality. Yeah. You know, like in 2020 alone, you think about how he released West Side Story and then, you know, he comes I back two years later with The Fablemans. Ooh. You know, it's really a... I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's astonishing, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of, you know, the amount of films he can put out and still have like a unique perspective on all, every single like type of material he wants to tackle. And mm-hmm. and this this kind of came out in the era before, like, I think one of his most interesting periods, which is like mm-hmm. Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds, Munich, Munich, Munich. All the boys love to talk about Munich. You ever mm-hmm. seen that knocked up scene where <laughs> Seth Rogen and, and Jay Baruchel, they're all in the club and they're talking about Munich. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm sure I have. I have seen that, but I don't remember it. Um, but, he, you know, he, just just so many films that you watch and you're like, oh, my God, Spielberg was f- fucking on one making this movie. Yeah. And he's like he usually is. He's usually on fire. Um, yeah. But this one feels really precious. And that's why I think mm. I like it so much is when mm-hmm. you watch it, you feel this this love and intent for respecting Kubrick, but also a little bit of the confidence that Spielberg's like, Kubrick gave this to me. Yeah. He wants me to do it, you know? Yeah. So kind of like that, that tension between like, you know, Kubrick was an incredible artist, but you know, he's not the artist in the way that I am. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, it's, it's fascinating to watch because the, you can kind of see the film being pulled from these like more intellectual, I don't know, more abstract ideas. And then like the thrill of what a Spielberg film yeah. is, you know, like the you think about how the scene, you know, if we're kind of jumping ahead, the scene where uh, the boy is on his own and he there's the moon that rises, the fake moon, and he, yeah. he ends up, you know, they're chasing all the ai or all the robots through the fields not really a sequence that i could see kubrick making in the same way Mm, mm -hmm. maybe not Mm -hmm. being as conventionally thrilling and then that goes back to like all the flesh fair stuff with the mecca Mm -hmm. which apparently was in a draft but then kubrick cut it and then spielberg was like let me have that back Mm -hmm. so it's interesting Mm -hmm. how that goes right yeah um i read one article mm. about the history of um you know this movie quality research over yep, here at yep. another it, look it was a long article <laughs> i will say yeah um, i but, mean you read more than i did about <laughs> i feel like you already know more stuff about this stuff than i do yeah. um but yeah it was interesting to learn about the history of the making of it because i thought you know from my 20 years ago memory that um, Kubrick was working on this movie and then died during the making of it. And Mm -hmm. then Spielberg stepped in to finish it. But really it was like years before Mm -hmm. that Kubrick 
you know, he had been working on it, I think, since even like, like, because the original story, mm-hmm. Super Toys Last All Summer Long mm-hmm. by Aldis, Brian Aldis, mm. could have written it down. but Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, I guess that story came out the year after 2001 was made. So, mm. 1969, I think, is when the story was written. And then wow. Kubrick, like, had it since, you know, the idea had from then carried over to, you know, he did some other movies after that. And then this was, like, set aside, but he'd always wanted to make it. Mm-hmm. So, like, keeping it for, keeping it around for decades. Yep. And then in, like, 95, I think is what the article was saying, that that's when Kubrick was, like, um realize and this is one of my favorite things to think about again just to like pump up the genius of kubrick even more mm-hmm. is like he was smart enough to know he wasn't the right director for this movie mm-hmm. and like he he gave it to spielberg to be like you're the guy to make this movie yeah like here's this awesome story i want to make it i can't make it you have to make it because it's like a type of movie you would make, you know, I think that's so cool. Like it's just so cool. Yeah. I don't know. Apparently Spielberg was completely overwhelmed by the amount of prep work that Kubrick had did because he he was like, Hey, I got this for you and you're going to do it and I'm going to produce it. And I think it ended up being stalled because they weren't Kubrick wasn't exactly thrilled by what computer effects could do at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in like the mid nineties, you know, like, I mean, he saw what, you know, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park yeah. and, you know, Terminator two, one of the other, those films were doing at the time, but those are mm-hmm. very isolated incidents. There's a lot mm-hmm. more practical effects and, and like hiding of the seams in Jurassic yeah. Park than you may think, you know? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. uh, at that time, like portraying an entire, like, I guess, visually dystopian world in yeah. a lot of ways. And, you know, using, the mecca and how like their mouths open and you see their interiors and all that stuff. You know, a lot of that's kind of complex stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that that's kind of interesting that, you know, Kubrick, you know, approached him and was like, Hey, like I got this. And it's just like, it's a whole thing. It's like a mammoth. Cause that's what Kubrick did. He worked on shit for years before he even decided that he was going to start principal photography. Yeah. And then once he started it, you never know how long it could run for. Mm -hmm. Because then he get might get a different idea. He was very spontaneous in spite of him like being like a perfectionist. Yeah. You know, like he would get an idea, but then he would have to plan it out. And so many writers were um, hired to do drafts for years. Mm-hmm. One thing in that article is just like how many writers he had gone through, mm-hmm. you know, just like for months working with somebody and then being like, scrap it get somebody else and then work for months with just that person Mm -hmm. going back and forth with like faxes and phone calls and ideas and you know this isn't right you know and then and then scrap that and then get another two or three writers one thing in that article that i really liked and kind of was like choking me up was about um after kubrick died Mm -hmm. then like spielberg stepped in to be like all right, I'm going to write this shit, you know, like, like he took the drafts Mm -hmm. and then 
just cut through it and like you know knows what Kubrick's going for knows what he can what Spielberg himself can bring to the story to make it good and like without Kubrick being alive to like nitpick Spielberg's drafts or something you know because you would think they would have collaborated closely um like without Kubrick being there to kind of stifle or you know Mm -hmm. not that it's all like just bad you know like Spielberg at the end of the day is a a workhorse too you know he yeah yeah like this was 2001 Mm -hmm. and in 2002 Minority Report came out yeah and he was originally going to make Minority Report but then you know with everything with this he put this on the the front burner essentially Yeah, yeah and it's like damn like you watch minority report which i mean if i feel like that one's still kind of underappreciated mm-hmm. robin mm-hmm. my partner she like fucking loves it and it's like yeah. it's so great you know tom cruise kind of like a g whiz sci-fi mm-hmm. world but also very you know dystopian about surveillance you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of themes that are very and that's a integral. k dick right book as well mm-hmm. yeah so you have these ideas uh swirling around in his head you know he was in a sci-fi mode yeah yeah. um but you're right it's like incredibly moving that he's like okay this is what i'm doing and we're putting this together and it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. like the final draft was steven spielberg coming in and like getting it across the finish line you know thinking of all those writers and yeah all the pre-production stuff like Mm -hmm. and just all of kubrick's ideas like good and bad coming together and just like this isn't getting this isn't getting to where we're trying to go, you know, but it's right. getting closer. And then like he dies and now now it's like, damn, what did he want from this? Well, Spielberg's like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> He's so like, cool. We're gonna fucking kill it. Yeah. It's I'm gonna, gonna be ma- the- I'm gonna make my friend's movie. Yeah. You know, the movie that he wanted me to make, mm-hmm. after all. No, it's Man. it's it's beautiful. Um and it's fun to watch it and like, you know, be like, oh, I wonder where this came from or what's the genesis of this? You know, because the ending of AI, which is a hotly contested ending still to this day, yeah. a lot of people think it's there's I, I would I would never have thought this, but some people think that it's extraneous. It isn't needed. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, that's the fucking ending of the movie. Yeah. You don't touch no, it. It's beautiful. But that was a Kubrick idea initially. That, you know, a lot yeah. of people think, ah, it's Spielberg sap. But, yeah, like, yeah. it's, for one, it's, like, not sappy. It's mm-hmm. it's sentimental, sure. But I yeah. I think a lot of people put on Spielberg this, like, lightness that he's never really had. He's just a, Interesting. he's a Hollywood, you know, he's a Hollywood professional. The guy lives to entertain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, with that, you also find these layers of darkness underneath. And that's what like what makes the ending so devastating. It's mm-hmm. this perfect day. It's this beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to end. Yeah. You know? And that's... And when you talk about that with like his relationship with Kubrick, which apparently was one of the closest relationships that Kubrick had. Awesome. Um, you know, like in terms of working relationships. Yeah. You know, they would talk all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Which is so much different than like 
you know, how Stephen King talks about Kubrick, where oh. like Kubrick would call and he, he'd be like, he asks some weird questions and then he hangs up. You know, he portrays Kubrick like he was some sort of like weird wacko or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just two artists butting heads. Yeah. But that's the thing. I think Kubrick respected Spielberg for what he could do yeah. that Kubrick couldn't. And that, yeah. and likewise, because, you know, whenever mm-hmm. Spielberg gets a chance to talk about his favorite movies, 2001 is usually in there. God, so, I mean, good, rightfully good so. Um, it's interesting, too. This is kind of like a random note, but it's interesting yeah. how Kubrick was, you know, a contemporary among those directors in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I mean, he mm-hmm. had started earlier than, yeah. like, Scorsese. Yeah. But, like, you know, 1968 for 2001 is, like, only, like, seven years away from, you know, whenever a lot of films of Scorsese and Spielberg would start coming Mm -hmm. out. So it's like, it's not like he, you know, but they regarded him as like a master, like an old master in a way. Um, He took such a big break too, between eyes wide shut. And was it full metal jacket? Yeah. Full metal jacket was what? 87. Something like that. And then, I mean, 1999 for eyes wide shut, which, you know, my personal favorite Kubrick film, Mm -hmm. eyes wide shut. Um, It's great. It's scary. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely still but also a movie. I feel like nothing happens. I mean I mean a lot happens. A lot happens, but I guess in the in the context of like Tom Cruise's characters <laughs> trying to cheat on his wife. Right. He never does. Yeah. Yeah. Um so He does a lot of emotional cheating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he stumbles mm-hmm. around and is looking for a release and then mm-hmm. he finds it in a weird way. It's a complex. And then he gets yelled at for it. I remember <laughs> the first time watching it being like, oh my God, this is terrifying. And mm-hmm. then another time, another viewing being like, being like, oh, you know, like it's all, it's like everything's fake or something or like, you know the i feel that to an extent but also yeah. when i rewatched it recently mm-hmm. um because i i got a version which is uh a certain aspect ratio that's not on the blu-ray it's not 185 it's it's like you know letterboxed or whatever yeah yeah you see more of that orgy exactly and you get you get like the tall frames that i love about kubrick mm-hmm. um you know that in so many of his great films have that mm-hmm. um but i was watching it and i'm just like you know, they, they, they want to act like this is all a ruse, and, but like, I'm scared. You know, I'm yeah. still scared. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The fact is, is that even if they are lying about what they are doing just to scare him, he's that, that the fact that they can do all that just to scare him means yeah. that they can actually do it too, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but enough about Eyes Wide Shut, which <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure a Kubrick film will show up in this podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need to tread lightly <laughs> about which one we pick. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's get back to AI. Yeah. Um, Another thing in that article I read um, that I thought was cool, um, it got pointed out that, um, you know, the way Spielberg like shot AI too, someone had a quote saying like, Spielberg was putting the camera in places he normally wouldn't Mm. like that. He was having more of an eye for Kubrick sentiment um, for like shot making. That's Um, cool. And I thought that was pretty interesting because I guess I still am not able to identify the like classic Spielberg um, composition or something. Whereas like with Kubrick, I feel like, well, there's a couple times in AI where um 
you know, you see like the halo light, like you're the camera's like above the dining table and you're looking like through the ceiling light or something, mm. you know, evocative of Dr. Strangelove. But then also the light itself is framing David, the boy Mecca. Yeah. And that one was like, ooh, it's kind of like that big ring light of Dr. Strangelove. But then also like, look, we're way up here and it's this halo around David, you know, and then later in the movie, there's a, a very similar shot, except the light itself is like, it's a different type of light in a different building, but it's like, it's like, it's a circle still, but it's cut in half vertically. Mm. So it's like a broken halo. And again, it's around, it's framing David mm. from this aerial view. So like those two shots, I feel like are, you know, meta visual metaphors for his innocence or something like, cool. you know, whole and bright and then like broken and a little dimmer. Um, so hearing that too, that like Spielberg is like, he's making a Kubrick film, but then he's also putting in his own, like the heart, the Spielberg heart and lightness, you know, mm -hmm. but then yeah, right next to, the Kubrick like indifference and darkness and stuff mm -hmm. like that dude so much of this movie is like doing work to make you know all the themes just like come come to the front oh it's 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 really inquisitive you know like mm -hmm. you start with like you almost don't even know what's going on initially with uh the parents and she goes mm -hmm. to read to her son who is sick. Um, yeah. And for me, initially, I was watching this again. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, is that, are they, like, reading to David? And yeah, then I was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. David doesn't even hear yet, you know, because yeah. they use David as an alternative. And that's yeah. kind of, like, for me, the interesting thread. I guess the basic thread is that this is an alternative to a real person. Mm-hmm. That they are, you know, that is essentially there's quotes like a perfect uh, simulacrum or whatever, mm -hmm. or uh, love will unlock uh, the subconscious. So there are these mm -hmm. ideas of like, we have created a perfect simulation, something mm -hmm. that can mimic movement, uh, thoughts, uh, qu questions, answers. And you see that in the opening with William Hurt talking with all of his scientists and all that. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't, you know, beaten the idea of like how does this being question like himself and how does he love and feel and embrace the world around him in a way that is like us because to give mm -hmm. that to them would to you know completely blur the lines as to what is real and what is not yeah. and that ties in when at the end when whether they are future humanoids or aliens yeah. david who is mm. not human has the only link to the human race yeah so there's this idea of like at the end of the day two thousand years later does that matter mm -hmm. if he's there mm -hmm. you know like how like does it really matter that much at the end of the day yeah. like what like what he has for his mom isn't is that not humanity mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting ideas here that are kind of threaded through yeah. and it and it's kind of based like around like different stre like stretches too. Like initially, like there's the quote, mm -hmm. but outside he just looks so real. And it's the question mm -hmm. of these parents being like, he looks real, but he's a robot. Mm -hmm. And then she, you know, the mother, she imprints on David, yeah. which is what unlocks this new component. He's not 
like, shall I lay down and pretend to sleep? You know, not like that. Yeah. It's like, mother, I love you, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like Haley Joel Osment, his face ooh, in that moment, yes. in that imprinting moment, is like, he does a great job being very robotic. Yeah. Um, and then in that moment, just that that little bit of, like, release of his face where he, like, has this, like, he's seeing a shining light or something. And mm. just, like, just how he kind of opens his eyes a little more and, like, drops his mouth a little bit. Yeah. Like, so so like subtle I yeah guess. it's, it's a nuanced nuance moment. yeah and so good i think it's one of the best performances by a child ever oh, because God, because it's, awesome. it's not only does he have to portray like his programming before he is allowed to be imprinted on yeah but then he also have to portray like he's this, this entire new side of him has been like given to him yeah. this capacity to feel and then once he's abandoned, he has to deal with what these new feelings are that probably weren't ever designed for him to feel in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't expect this, but the idea of like, like let's say he imprints on his mother and his mother passes away instead of yeah. like abandoning him. Yeah, like, yeah. what is he to do? You he know? would still be... You know, because the whole thing is like once you imprint, mm-hmm. he like never stops loving you. Right. So it's almost like dangerous to even have built this technology in the first place because of the way humans die. Right. Because then it's like, is he going to accept the death when it happens? Or would this basically, would this same thing have happened anyway, even if he wasn't abandoned? Right. Like, would he still be yearning for her love, even though, let's say, he spent that 50 years with them? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because she's like, oh, I'll be alive for another 50 years, you know? And then Teddy. And, oh, my God. Yeah, and is he's... 50 years a long time? I don't think so. Oh, brutal. And then they're in the ocean for 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers for the later part of the movie. <laughs> But yeah, I was thinking that same thing that it's like, well, what if she just dies? Mm-hmm. He's still going to be like, damn, I need her love. But maybe. That's interesting. It's like, <sighs> yeah. is it like grief for him? Because grief is, you know, I've, I've, I've since the past year with my dad passing, I've, <sighs> I've read a lot and thought a lot about what grief is. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. this idea of grief being love with no place to go. Mm. you know that you mm-hmm. you have all this love you want to give this person mm-hmm. but you can't show it to them anymore Damn. you can't call them you know things yeah. like that yeah and this is that really for him you know mm-hmm. he he's abandoned and the, the this brutal moment by his mother before she gets in her car and drives off where she says i'm sorry i didn't tell you about the world oh yeah and it kind of it ends that first chapter pretty abruptly yeah. And then he's out there, David is out there with Teddy, his his super toy, which is essentially a really smart yeah. teddy bear. Yeah. To explore, you know, explore the unknown and see what's out there. And you kind of see this idea of like I privilege in a way of like yeah. what he was in a simulation of his own, like in this perfect little home yeah. where he lived with his family. He hardly ever went like went outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and here he's given to the reality, which is this like this harsh world of Dude. robots and mechas just being scrapped and, and hated. And yeah, 
you find a lot of like in addition to his abandonment and like the pain he's feeling with that and trying to find you know the blue fairy you know once again going to fairy tales for this yeah yeah pinocchio yeah um which you know there's a lot of threads in spielberg movies in general about fairy tales he likes to Mm -hmm. adapt them you know he likes to you know kind of put like i don't know like more uh like flights of whimsy in his films you find a lot of that um but in this you know he uses the fairy tale as like a way to see if you know reality can change for this boy you know Mm -hmm. if he can Mm -hmm. if this can actually happen and it goes it goes on a journey of just absolute for me it's just devastation all the way through Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's so many moments where i'm like ouch my heart it hurts so bad um but you find like moments of social commentary here too that you it's just like nonchalant and just very like tossed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the swimming pool scene where once oh, yeah. David's brother or, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the the mother's real son comes back and yeah, there's gets ten- out of his coma. There's tension between them because his, the, you know, the real son does not see him as a brother. He sees him as a toy. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know how you could not like, like mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. You know, and like, I I think the movie understands that like it may, it's not the boy's fault. It's just, it's, he goes a little too far with the bullying. And like kids and jealousy and envy and whatever. And, and he does, um, when they wheel him back in, Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to be like sick and, you know, like in his wheelchair for incapacitated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like. He's alive, but he's still a vegetable is what I was thinking. And right. that was making me feel like, well, would you rather have like a fake able-bodied uh, Mecca or your actual organic vegetable son? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. um, and they could have gone they that route. Him, they make him walk because mm-hmm. it's the future and he can walk. Um, yeah. And they like, they get him back to full fine. health and then. Then you start to kind of have an understanding of like, I think what his parents and like what the environment, because a lot of people died when New York and LA and this future were the, swallowed yeah, up. Yeah. The opening of the movie is like still what's going to happen to our uh, humanity's future right. on this planet, which is like another thing where it's just like immediately from 20 years ago, this movie is like still warning us about Mm -hmm. what's going to happen and i kind of love that it's just like here's what happened the fucking world flooded Mm -hmm. and a shitload of people died and the cities drowned and it's Mm -hmm. like yep that's what's coming so and what's interesting is that the father who is like the sole breadwinner in this family is like working for a tech corporation for artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. you know there's a Mm -hmm. lot of things here where it's like what is being supported what can mm-hmm. give you a good life and like, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. And so this, uh, they're at the, this pool party for the real brother. I'm forgetting his name. What was his yeah. Name? Um, I, don't know. I think it was, um, Malachi. I think it was, ah, um, yes. Ma- <laughs> yeah. Children of the corn, <laughs> but they're there. And the, uh, one of like his friends, uh, oh, Martin, I think his name is Martin. Martin. That's it. Yeah. Um, one of Martin's friends is, talking about david and one of martin's friends says something along the lines of like oh yeah like our uh, serving man uh, yeah has something like that you know and mm-hmm. it, you start to think oh yeah like the robot class isn't usually considered family 
here. Yeah. They're considered servants. They're considered oh. pleasure. Yeah, yeah. They're considered, you know, a lot of, just a lot of things. They're, they are used, essentially. There's this incredible shot near the beginning where David is, like, looking at, um, like, the coffee pots and stuff, like, on the counter. Yeah. And his, like, his head, his eyes are, like, just peeking over the counter. Mm-hmm. And his, like, you know, so you just see from under his eyes to the top of his head. And that's being reflected in the tabletop. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a gorgeous dude. So many shots in this movie. Great compositions. Yeah. Incredible. Um, it's that it's that uh, telltale Kubrick thing where you could, you know, every frame a painting, you know, mm-hmm. pause the movie at any point, frame it, put it on your wall art, you mm-hmm. know, but that that shot was making me think like, He's an appliance. He's one of the, he's the coffee pot. He's the, you know, steam kettle or whatever. All the, he's the toaster. You know, he's just another appliance to like help these people, the parents, you know, like their life mm-hmm. be a little bit right. easier. It, in many ways, he's practical um, as much as he's also built to be something to love, like, like a pet. Yeah. I mean, he's not supposed to be a pet. He's supposed to be a child. Mm-hmm. But then there's like, you know, how humans see, you know, things that they bring in and take care of is very nuanced. Because mm-hmm. when you have a child and the child is of your own making, there's a there's a connection that cannot be replicated. Mm-hmm. And so when something walks in that's like, you know, they can't eat and can't, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't really sleep and, yeah, you know, will grow up, will never die, will always be the same size. Mm-hmm. Just like Claudia in Interview with the Vampire. Yes. Um, great movie. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, so much of that is it fights against what the robot, what David is built for. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, th- that creates a thread throughout. Um, and I think it leads really well into the second portion, which is when he ends up at this flush fair where these kind of like it's a scary. i don't know it, it's a carnival but it's also like a monster truck yeah like a... weird vibe like i think the only time this movie really shows its age mm-hmm. it, like you know not in a bad way but just the context of when it was made was like around that time you got the chris rock cameo yeah which is silly you have the guys <laughs> you have the guys with the helmets and like kind of like a dead space looking exoskeleton yeah, riding yeah. around on those motorcycles hunting yeah. down the mecca mm-hmm. you got brendan gleason you got all of kind of like these weird characteristics and you know it's it's essentially a like this mini moment where you feel the pain and the the, the hate that people that humans have for mecca yeah. and then it ends when he is seen on the stage and the audience turns against the yeah. showrunner turns against the carnival mm-hmm. master and yeah. says hey that's that's too far yeah and i don't think they disagree that he's robot i think they understand that yeah i think they're just so it's just too far for them they just yeah they they, it makes them have a change of fate it's it's an interesting moment in the movie i wonder what you think of it yeah i uh i immediately not to get political but it was making me think of like just all the fucking hateful bullshit and the people who are, you know, I don't know how to say it, you know, but yeah. just like 
a bunch of hateful fucking people who want to see like some shit that they don't think is worthy like get destroyed yeah because all these mecha are getting like pulled apart and you know there's this super old looking weird you know uh mecha that i think he says like i was you know the top of the line in my day or whatever Mm -hmm. and then you see him just get pulled apart and like yeah they should we should respect all the mecha Mm -hmm. as much as we respect david and um i do like in that scene as as scary as it is and like as hateful you know and like vile that humanity does flip in that moment yeah um they're like whoa okay i think yeah they recognize like they mecca's never been able to like plead for their lives and look like that and 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 be a child right yeah so that there's a lot of elements that lead to like inflicting a certain response for humans Mm -hmm. you know like this empathetic response yeah like you know because a lot of the mecca in the movie they look kind of like Mm jensen-esque you know very 50s Mm. uh sci-fi kind of a look they're built to look different and so when people look at them they have no issues knowing what they are yeah the uncanny valley Mm -hmm. is like not present in those other ones right so then when david walks up and everybody's like what's a child doing on the stage yeah there's a sense of just like okay well if we're at this point like when i throw like a rock at that child and he gets hit and he says ow you know yeah what what am i supposed to feel am i supposed to feel mm. excited about that you know there's yeah. so it it's an interesting moment moment yeah. in the movie i you know, I love the entire film, so I, w- I wouldn't say it's the weakest part, but it's for yeah. me, it's the part where it's like it kind of feels more of a basis for then the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Because then when he moves on with uh, with Joe, right? Yeah. Uh, played by Jude Law. It's so good. Love him in this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love everybody in this movie. Yeah. An incredibly well cast film. But yeah, Jude Law and Haley Joe Osmond make such a great team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rest of the movie of them looking for the Blue Fairy is just on it like totally in gorgeous science fiction with such a unique i don't know like discussing our origins you know where we're from and where we're going yeah is really important um so cool i love that but i mean you know in talking about this movie i mean we're eventually we're going to get to the ending and i did have some thoughts on that if you wanted to explore it right before that um to go back to the pool scene oh heck talking about um you know, they're like bullying him and uh, bullying David and he gets scared and he like, you know, latches onto Martin and is like, keep me safe, keep me safe. But he like can't let go. And then they fall into the pool and yeah. it's like, oh shit, he might accidentally kill Martin yeah, um, by drowning him. And then they, you know, the parents like save Martin, but then they just leave David in the bottom of the pool. Yeah, he's just floating there. And it's like, he doesn't need air or he's you think he's waterproof, you know? Right. So, and also he's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. So just, they forget about him, you know, cause it's not like an emergency. And then the layers that this movie does of, you know, like he's at the bottom of the pool, not too big of a deal. But then later when they find that blue fairy in like New York, or I think it was New York and, you know, it just totally flooded 
um, he's sitting on the edge of the building mm-hmm. and then he's just like, what the fuck is this life? And then he just like drops off the side and is now floating like in the ocean, just like, whatever, just yeah. leave me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love the parallels there. The movie does a lot of that stuff, like with scenes and objects, like, um, you know, he, earlier David's playing with like the toy helicopter or whatever, like the, the amphibopod or whatever that they're in later. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't recognize that until the very end when he's at his fake home or whatever, playing with it again. I was like, oh my God, there's another like, mm-hmm. you know. So that's the thing I love about this movie is um, the, the intelligence of its makers. So uh, much detail. To, to put all that stuff in there. That's what I was saying earlier, how just like every little piece is like pushing this whole story on you the whole time, whether it's like, you know foreshadowing or calling back but um yeah and then another you know so david falls into the water and then he gets rescued Mm -hmm. but then he's in the then he sits in the bottom of the ocean again for another two thousand years so Mm -hmm. like no just all that all that i like how you kind of like you see echoes of like what came before yeah uh and you know how Spielberg like shoots this movie is very you know he's got Kaminsky on photography, uh-huh, uh-huh. so a lot of blown out like white levels and you know yeah, kind of yeah. like you know Kubrick I don't think would have ever shot a movie like this and uh-huh, like uh-huh. his his Kubrick's idea of blocking really wasn't the same either you know he had a uh-huh. lot of mannered blocking like hit the fucking mark sort of thing and not that kubrick or not that spielberg isn't like that but spielberg likes to make his characters moving in relationship with the camera feel very natural Mm -hmm. almost you know very organic you can tell it's choreographed but it doesn't feel overtly choreographed um unless you want it to be like if you watch his west side story there's so many moments where they're hit all the actors are hitting their marks and you're like oh my god just keep doing that you don't even need to you don't even need to sing you're just like oh you're just making the movie look so beautiful yeah um you know that the that's the idea of uh of spielberg the magic is just like yeah he knows how to move the camera but he also knows wherever he's moving the camera or whatever he's doing with that, he's also going to tell an actor to do something that's going to make story significance, mm-hmm. thematic significance. It's it's all dude. It's all on point to what the yeah. mission of the movie is. There's never a extraneous thing mm-hmm. in his movies, mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. And if they are extraneous or if they're weird or if they just straight up don't work, it's usually a decision that he thought would work. So, you know, yeah. it, you never feel like you're getting you know, the short end of the stick with him. Yeah. Um, but I think that leads to the ending, yeah. which is just, oh, like, I want to lay down and sob. Um, mm. But we did talk about it after the movie was done when we watched it together. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you're because I, I, you said, you know, it's not as sad as, like, I remember it being, yeah. like, something along those lines. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I think you're right. I think my just perspective has changed. For sure. I felt a lot more hopeful. So yeah, it's like David, he finds the blue fairy, which is this like, um, you know, 
uh, it's like a statue in Coney Island. It's under the water. Mm-hmm. He's in the amphibopod, so he's down there, and he's just like staring at her in the thing, and is like, "Make me a real boy. Make me a real boy." Mm-hmm. And then you know he gets trapped because the Ferris wheel falls on him, and then he just sits there for two thousand years. The world freezes. Everything's fucked. You know, um, these aliens show up, mm-hmm. which I guess they're robots. Mm. I was, which makes sense because they had do have like some kind of circuitry looking patterns inside their body. Yeah. But I was thinking they're aliens. But in that article, it was like, oh, audiences mistakenly took them for aliens, and they're supposed. I guess they're supposed to be like even more evolved robots. You know, which it, makes sense because I also the whole don't think about Mecca or whatever. It could be aliens. It's not a problem if it's aliens. You know what too. though? Yeah, it's. It's the aliens from 2001, mm-hmm. and it's the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull aliens. Both of them? <laughs> it, they're they're the no, they know. do look similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so they have like carved out the frozen oceans, which is dope. And as you're like flying through in their ship, it's very 2001, like mm-hmm. the Stargate sequence, which is there's so many like references to kubrick stuff like martin in the very beginning when he's in his cryopod it's like a 2001 i mean Mm -hmm. there's so much 2001 it's hard not to hit on 2001 just because it's like a future story right um in the flesh fair arlie ermy is like the face of one of the robots from full metal jacket Mm -hmm. um you know david getting unfrozen he's kind of like uh you know jack from the shining yeah um You know, the Doctor Strange love halo lights. There's so much like love for it's like a Kubrick's greatest hits, you know, kind of just hidden throughout. Spielberg hidden, really, just like all throughout. Spielberg loved uh, Kubrick's visual design. He loved how he put movies together. And what's what's interesting, like we've been saying throughout this episode, is how he's able to bring his own movie to the table while bringing those references you know, not in a way that feels like gimmicky yeah, or, uh, you know, out of, you know, it doesn't feel out of place. It feels like a loving appreciation yeah. for what Kubrick brought visually, like what what he brought to the world of cinema. Yeah, it's um, super balanced. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the aliens, the robots, whatever. Um, yeah. The the normal people that arrive from the future, you know, they unlock David and and let him out. And then the blue fairy like crumbles and he's sad. And then they read his mind and they mm-hmm. transfer his memories to all the other, you know, so they can kind of like hive mind. They understand what's up and they're like, holy shit, you are the only person we've ever met who actually knew humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like an incredible link for them in their history. Um, and they have this ability to uh, bring back from the dead for one day any person whose organic matter they find. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a part earlier where Martin is like, hey, David, go cut mommy's hair in the night. It'll be fun thinking he'll get in trouble for it. But then. Teddy in that moment takes the little lock of hair. You forget about it for the whole rest of the movie. He's got it. Mm-hmm. Boom. We're going to get the thing he's always wanted. And, um, you know, yeah, even though it's just for one day, they bring back Monica, mm-hmm. um, the mother who's also, um, 
I just watched The Fablemans and mm-hmm. Sam's love interest, you know, at the prom. Her name's Monica. Oh so my I was like, God. oh, dude. Oh, this is like a Batman v Superman. Freud would be having a field day. <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the aliens, the robots, the normal people from the future, they're like, when the person who's back to life goes unconscious at night or whatever, like the next time they go unconscious, they never come back. Mm-hmm. So you get, you're going to get one day and they're just telling David, like, this is all you get just this one time. Mm-hmm. And he's cool with it. He has a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to it, sleep at the end of the night, presumably never to wake up again that's an interesting yeah because it's like it's possible that he does wake up and he he feels fulfilled and like he's able to live with you know with uh, these new beings but there's also a sense of finality to it yeah that like it's the end and this this is what he's wanted and Mm -hmm. when he's fulfilled in that he has no other use purpose oh yeah you know because william hurt in the beginning when he's describing the you know the david that he's trying to make mm-hmm. is like um a mecca that can dream that can like chase its dreams um you know and then later david does meet uh william hurt and mm-hmm. he sees all you know david sees all the other versions of him that are like not uh activated and that's you know what makes him have all fucking be like i'm just gonna die in the ocean or whatever right but um yeah william hurts like we were watching you we wanted to see you like chase your dreams because no other mecca has like done that ever Mm -hmm. um or or even can dream yeah so then at the very end after he has that one final day um you know with his mother getting the thing that he was designed to achieve which was receiving her love and loving her in return like he finally gets to do it like unencumbered Mm -hmm. um then yeah then when he goes to sleep next to her the narration is like and he went off to the place of dreams or Mm -hmm. whatever so it's like i do feel like he didn't just power down and die after that. I guess I'm just thinking it could be a scenario, but like that, it, that it makes looks... more sense for like a more poetic ending. Mm-hmm. But I do have the, I do see the possibility that like he doesn't just power down. Right. You know? Right. He was in the, yeah, but I mean, it, it would probably, I should just redact my memories or whatever <laughs> and be like, be like, Nope. He dies. He, 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 like you just said, he served its purpose, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't need anything else anymore after that now, after finally like achieving his goal. And that's why I do think it's more hopeful and happy of an ending because he did finally achieve what he was, uh, you know, built to do what any of us are trying to do. Uh, what's that Hal line? He's, you know, I should know it by heart, but, um, I don't know. I, I'm blanking on it. <laughs> yeah, where he says, like, the thing that, you know, a person wants to do is be the best to their abilities mm-hmm. or whatever. But sure. You know, the the a lot of people you were saying thought maybe the ending was going to be when he's stuck in the ocean mm-hmm. and just like, that's it. He never fulfilled his, you know, his like prime directive. Um, 
He's never going to because there's no more people. He's just stuck. No one knows he's down there. You know, like, it's a horrible ending. That I, would be the Kubrick ending, you would think. Yeah, but know? but that's the thing, you know, that it wasn't that wasn't his mm-hmm, ending. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the I I think what's funny is that people watch this and then they assume certain things about what Kubrick would have wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think the ending. The ending to me is like the strongest parallel to 2001 because just like the ending where mm. uh, Dave uh, yeah. is in the, the the environment, the captivity of by the mm-hmm. aliens, mm-hmm. you know, he's in that like with the French architecture and the white floor and the green bed yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you have this sense of like it's reality, but it's not reality. And then mm-hmm. when David goes into his home or whatever it's called at the end. Yeah, of uh yeah. the this movie you know the windows there's aren't there's no real light it's like these mm-hmm. like it's like this blue light with these branches and you can tell mm-hmm. that it's it's just a complete you know mock-up yeah. of the memories that he yeah. had stored of this space mm-hmm. um and then you see that of course you see the robots or the aliens like looking up like looking down like into the space yeah. which was really cool yeah um and i like how the robot is he's like David's asking for something and that, you know, he wants to, you know, have some more time with his mother and all of that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the robot just goes, give him what he wants, you know? Yeah. And it's just like beautiful and yeah. like soft and sweet. And, but I, I did want to mention two lines that the mother says right when she wakes up. Yeah. Which she, first thing she says is I must've dozed off, which oh, gives yeah. the implication that this is a true Yes, yes, yes. I don't know, like like reawakening of her actual body and self. Like it's yeah. like or maybe they just program it that way to like where she like it's like she's just woke up sleeping and like nothing else is different. But then mm-hmm, she doesn't mm-hmm. like have any like memories or like yeah. awareness of where she is because that would scare her. And he's mm-hmm. told David's told not to say anything about like what's going yeah. on because that would like frighten her. Yeah. Um, like she's real she's built from his memories probably but then also from however the robots are able to bring something back so it's like she's really there mm-hmm. she's not like the house where it's like just based on his memories alone right um but yeah it is an interesting like she's artificially there mm-hmm. he's an artificial thing so now it's kind of this flip you know where right. like he's getting his mother back where in the beginning she wanted her child back yeah which is just so beautiful and no. like smart and then then it, uh, she follows it up with like she says something to herself like how strange how fascinating mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. kind of just this awareness by her of like what a, what a strange thing like where am i yeah. but like not enough not scared yeah. Or like, oh, like, what is this? Like getting paranoid or anything. Yeah. It's just this beautiful, like, kind of recognition of like, I'm in a strange place. And this mm-hmm. is this is nice, but I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the movie unfolds to like this graceful note of this, this, I don't know, a, a goodbye, but also a fulfillment of yeah. what we've been looking for, for the yeah. entire picture. Yeah. And um, what I said earlier about, something this made me think about after we watched it is um, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm. Um, Because I was relating to Scarlet Witch in that movie a lot Mm -hmm. with the like, 
can't you be happy knowing there's a version of you out there that is happy? Mm. And it's like, no, because I don't have, I'm not the one that's happy. Mm -hmm. So like I will tear apart the fucking multiverse in order to achieve that shit. And it's like, oh, God damn it. I'm the villain here. Well, it's kind of insane that she's the villain in that movie. I feel I feel like mm-hmm. that entire movie is kind of misguided because mm-hmm. I like you're saying, I empathize with her way more than I do Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. but, you know, that's cool. either near nor here, either yeah. near nor there or whatever. Yeah. So um, but it was making me feel like the opposite in AI where I'm like here. He's getting the thing. You know, it's like. He is happy with that one. I guess it's not one to one here, you know, because sure. it's like she can Scarlet Witch. She can never really achieve that happiness that she wants. Mm-hmm. But there is a version of her out there that does. So that should be enough. Mm-hmm. But then this thing with David, it's like, OK, one more day mm-hmm. and then that's enough. And it's like, hell yeah, that's enough happy as shit yeah i love it like he didn't ask for more uh i think i mean i don't know if he like really understands how much time has passed and like what that feels like to him yeah but you know i'm sure he was just like absolutely thrilled Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. that that's kind of the idea is there's this there's this beautiful closure to the movie that is signaled visually when the camera pans out of the apartment and it's just blackness outside yeah and uh the lights go off in each room kind of like a like a play almost um and it just signals the end of the picture and chills yeah chills it's a remarkable movie i Um, think so much about how like i try to hold on to moments in life and just like can't yeah or like life so much of experience is like waiting to do the next thing or like anticipating the next thing and then when you're in it it's like this is so cool but then it's over yeah and now you're like remembering the thing you just did anticipating the next thing you're going to do Mm -hmm. so it's like the moment of when we're in the thing that we want that is fulfilling us is like it's a heartbeat you know so like right to feel fulfilled with having only that one day and it, you know, it's like montage So maybe it's not even 24 hours total. It feels short because... It feels very short. Because yeah. the way it's structured, it's brutal. Like there's a scene where they're uh, they're doing paintings together or drawings. And yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, 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 uh, the narration by Ben Kingsley That's right, yeah. uh, says like he had to be careful not to show anybody that like maybe would trigger like a memory or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like to just draw like random stuff yeah he's drawing his adventure which she didn't know about Uh so it's like but it's not it's not fucking her up at all exactly it's like very much a blank slate but then at the end of that like the narration says like and you know the sun was already beginning to set and you're like fuck like the like i want this to go on for 30 minutes that's how it would feel you know yeah exactly you're you're just time flies and you're having fun kind of a thing. It's just like, it'd be awesome. It's over. Don't even worry about trying to hold on to it. Cause you can't Yeah. Uh, just feel it and then go to sleep and it's, never wake up again. It's, I mean, I've, I've like read stories about people who know like 
this is like going to be like their last like couple nights or mm-hmm. something. It's, you know, mm-hmm. mainly people on hospice and, you know, mm-hmm. they have something scheduled and it's like people talk about it when they're like in it and they're like, I've never had a day move by so like swiftly, not like oh, yeah. fast, but yeah. just like the idea of just it's just mm-hmm. happening and then it yeah. oh my gosh it's this and then it's that and then and then it's mm-hmm. over and yeah. so you know the idea that he is satisfied with just that mm-hmm. and it means everything to him that he's able to get it is really life affirming because it just mm-hmm. it makes you think about the, all the moments that we've had in our own lives yeah. and how they mean so much to us and how the you know that that's the moments that we should really cherish you know mm-hmm. like no matter how swiftly they move by they carry this great weight. Yeah. And they, you know, they linger with us in such an important way. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we're, you know, we could talk about this movie for years. Dude, we didn't even get into like. We didn't the... talk about the Fablemans really. No, which is. We should, you know, we could do, we good. could do a bonus episode maybe. That would be cool. Cause I'd like to get into a little bit of like the, you know, the morality or whatever of just AI in general and how I feel like. You know, to really quickly touch on the way our brains work to make memories, you could describe the same way a program, a computer program. I just think there's no difference. Uh, eventually, there won't be a difference, you know, and like AI mm-hmm. or Mecca or whatever the future holds for, you know. I feel like we didn't even humanity. touch the philosophy of yeah this no movie. no for real for it's real. it's so complex it's so dense but yeah I guess you know just to kind of wrap things up Corey yeah with your episode hell yeah um, dude enough <laughs> would you give it another look I I doubt it yeah probably not deleted <laughs> from the history of the world no but for real I I've been thinking I feel like I say this every time about how I want to like rewatch it again yeah but you know we took a couple days in between between watching and recording this here and mm-hmm. i was like i didn't but i did want to watch it again just to just to go in and uh you know really comb through all the details and stuff and stuff in the background and uh you know just want to appreciate it even more um it felt like it didn't feel super long as long for you know two and a half hours um right it felt it felt like uh yeah, like a light. Um, mm-hmm. You know, each scene has its own kind of like feeling of and, and like moral lesson too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not that it's like holding your hand, but it is very like easy to uh, um, access, I guess. You right. Know, like, um, and so that made it really fun to watch too, and and like the pacing of it. Um, and that just I didn't remember a lot of stuff mm-hmm. was cool, but it's such a visual treat. And and then knowing more about Kubrick and Spielberg and then being able to identify the ways that the movie is both of them. Mm-hmm. Where like, yeah, you feel that that more cold intellectual stuff. And then, you know, Kubrick's side, then Spielberg comes in with like the heart, you know, mm-hmm. like and like you're saying, has he's got darkness to himself as well Mm -hmm. um the abandonment themes in a lot of his other movies which is another thing that i'm like kind of just um being able to recognize which is cool um and yeah sad i mean real quickly the fablemans kind of made me sad 
Like, yeah. like these two, the you know, Fablemans and AI had like the flip flop. I was thinking Fablemans was going to be like, yeah, and AI was going to be like, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they were the opposite. Fablemans is, I think they marketed it as a, you know, oh my God, let's see where young Spielberg get all his ideas for his mm-hmm. big movies. <laughs> Magic of movies, right? Yeah. And it has some of that, sure. Oh, definitely. But it also has a an, an intense, like, psychology to showing divorce yeah. and and uh, separation, mm-hmm. uh, anti-Semitism. So oh, much, God, so God. much to that movie that mm-hmm. I feel like we could probably expand on its own. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, I guess, yeah. In terms of AI, you know what I'm going to say about it. Masterpiece, uh, one of Spielberg's most adventurous films, I mm-hmm. think, in terms of its themes, its ideas, how it's structured, uh, the just the glow of it, the beautiful Kaminsky photography mm-hmm. uh, just feels like radiant in its light. But then also mm-hmm. in the moments of darkness, it's just like really like the, all the stuff in the, what's the city called in, uh, you know, the, Oh the, yeah. The, uh, Rouge city. Yeah. Like the, the color of the neon and everything. It's just mm-hmm. gorgeous. Uh, incredible to look at stunning performances an yeah. ending that you'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I swear to God, if you listen to this entire episode, you've never seen the movie and we just spoiled the ending for you. What are you doing? You know by now. Don't listen to this unless you've seen it. I, I know people hate doing podcast homework. We had a great listener who was like, I listen if I've seen the movie. If I haven't seen the movie, I don't listen. It's like, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I don't. At the end of the day, I don't want to be spoiling shit for you. Yeah, so, for sure. But, um, oh my God. AI. Classic. Beautiful film. So good, yeah. And... Corey, thank you so much for picking it. What a great Hell choice. Yeah. No, I'm glad too cuz uh it really it really just hit the hit the spot, you know. Yeah. And and yeah, I think you know, I, I think it's uh was a smart pick for more than the reasons I detailed in the beginning. For or, sure. You know? Right. Um incredible movie. I'm excited honestly to watch it in another 20 years. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean I would personally, I'm going to watch it sooner than that, (laughs) (laughs) but I know what you mean. (laughs) But as always, Corey, thank you so much. William. On hair handshake. Absolutely. Pleasure doing business with you. Of course. And to our, all our listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening to another look and we'll see you uh, next time. See you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye.